0: Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Also find us on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons and on the Podcast One, great landing spot for Minnesota podcasts and also for Lakes, Woods, and Irons. This segment brought your way by Craigens, the legacy courses. Get out to Craigens, have a great meal, and uh, play some great golf. Chris Foley with me. Chris, uh, coming out of kind of a legendary U.S. Open. That was kind of fun.
1: It was quite a finish, Mac. Um, first couple of days were kind of uneventful and, um, you know, not not a lot of, uh, you know, exciting action. But boy, uh, Saturday afternoon it turned into a horse race, and Sunday was fantastic.
0: Yeah, kind of, uh, boy, cream rising to the top. I don't remember the last time. Probably five of the top ten were were on the leaderboard there on Sunday.
1: Yeah, gosh! At one point, I think uh, starting the back nine, there were eleven or twelve guys within, uh, you know, uh, two shots of the lead. So,
0: yeah, and the guys you like to see there for TV ratings: Rory and uh, D. Shambo and Kepka and John Rahm and of course, Rom uh, and Oostezen, My goodness, another second place finish.
1: Yeah, uh, seven or eight second place finishes for, for Ustazen. He was uh, kind of in control and. Um, you know, hit a very poor tee shot on, uh, on number 17 and, uh, was, you know, kind of of took the wind out of his sails.
0: Yeah. Then he really had to make a, he would have had to make that, uh, terrific par saving putt and then birdie the 72nd, which he did birdie the 72nd, but, uh, just barely, barely too little, barely too late for Usti. again. Uh, He's in pretty select company though. They said, uh. He's there with the most seconds, except for Tiger and Phil have more seconds than he does. So that's and a, Jack. that's not bad company. No, that's yeah, not bad. Jack, yeah and Jack, yeah. Uh, and yeah, that was just current guys who are still active, so Yeah. Yeah, Jack has the uh boy, I watched a little bit of that was on over the weekend as well that Tom Selleck narrated Jack. It's just extraordinary when you think eighteen majors and nineteen seconds.
1: Yeah, pretty pretty phenomenal. You you forget as time's passed, you forget how incredible his record really is.
0: Yeah. That's nine years of getting either first or second in majors. That doesn't leave a lot of room at the top for other guys. No, it sure doesn't.
1: <laughs> Tough year to play in. Oh, man. When you take he, when you take he and Palmer and, and Player and, and Billy Casper, there weren't a lot of other majors to go around.
0: <laughs> no. No, then Trevino and Watson kind of came along in the 70s, and there still weren't a lot to go around. So
1: No, that's right.
0: <laughs> we got a couple of uh, – what was your take on John Rahm? I think he's a guy that um, I think the golf world is expected to win and uh, seems like one of golf's good guys when he, he's uh, kind of uh, nondescript, low-key at times. He used to be kind of thought of as having a hot temper, but uh, the commentators were kind of saying that's not really true.
1: Yeah, you know he used to he used to run very hot and it really um, I think in, negatively impacted his play. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you, in the last, the last couple of years, he he has uh, played phenomenally well, and it, it it was a great win, and he played he played so well, and um, you know it was it was neat to see after his you know when he had to withdraw at Mirfield, uh three weeks ago with with COVID. And just how he you know, he he maintained such a positive attitude on all of that and then just continued to his outstanding play in into the US Open. And he, he's played so well at Torrey Pines. Um, his his you know, winning the the farmers that which was there in the uh, you know, in the early part of the year and then winning now and um boy it's just just played great and um, you know hit just two clutch putts on yeah. 17
0: and 18 to win. And those were not easy putts. Rolled no. them both right in the middle. Also proposed to his wife at uh, Tory, so it's, it's a good, that's a good good right. spot for him. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think uh, I'd be buying a home next to Torrey if I were here. Yeah,
0: I think so. Yeah, play there as often as you can. Got that's a couple right. of great guests coming up, Chris. Uh, Craig Allen, a friend of yours from Sea Island. Yeah, Craig's the director of golf
1: at Sea Island in, in Georgia, and uh, we're going to get kind of his take on the on the U.S. Open. And uh, there's so many great, you know, PJ Tour players that play out of Sea Island. Yeah. We'll
0: talk yeah. a little bit about that. Then Steve Bankston from Whitefish. Been trying to get Steve on for a couple of years. That'll be nice from the Whitefish uh, uh, golf course.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of the kind of the, the hidden gems of the Brainerd Lakes area.
0: Yeah, it really is. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan. And find us on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons and also on Podcast One, good landing spot for Minnesota podcasts, and uh, find us there at Lakes, Woods, and Irons. Chris, a special guest we want to introduce. I want
1: to welcome the general manager of Whitefish Golf Club, Steve Banks. And Steve, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, guys. I appreciate this opportunity. Love the show. Love your format and welcome the opportunity to chat with you guys.
0: Yeah, nice to talk to you, Steve. We've uh, missed you a couple times and uh, glad to get you on. Let's uh, let's get right into Whitefish Golf. It's a great golf course and uh, uh, talk about the, the layout a little bit to start with.
2: You know, we're one of the earlier clubs to be in this area, so we have kind of a, a classic, classic old school layout. Northern Pines. Um, lots of trees, fun layout, walkable built on a built on just under 200 acres of kind of pristine forested land. So, um, it's a course built in the sixties, you know, has a, a reputation as obviously being one of the uh, first courses here. And it's, it's a layout that's challenging and fun for people of all levels. It's one of those things that once a person plays it, I think it appeals to lower handicaps and. Um, up into the higher handicaps, there's not any force carries and things that create too much trouble for people. Yet accuracy off the tee is a premium, and and you know people have to control their ball in order to play it well. So it really it offers a lot for a wide group of wide group of players.
0: Yeah, I've I've played a little hide and seek in some of those trees you have there, Steve.
2: <laughs> yeah, well we all have. If you can play here, I think you can play anywhere.
0: Yeah, yeah. Steve, you a- I always think
1: it's one of the hidden gems in the, the lakes area. For those not familiar, where, where are you located?
2: Um, halfway between Pequot Lakes and Cross Lake on County Road 16. So just kind of on the northern edge of uh, Wing County and right just south of the Whitefish Chain Lakes.
1: Steve, you, you, you offer daily play. Do you have memberships, leagues? Tell us some of that.
2: Yeah. I mean, we have uh, we're a public golf course. Open to everybody. Um, we get a lot of resort play, um, a lot of member play. We have uh, 330 members that uh, play a lot during the week. Uh, weekends are cabin owners and weekenders, and we get a nice mix. We have people staying at local resorts that find their way over to us and and enjoy playing there because, again, being the, one of the hidden gems, it's you know we aren't one of the larger properties in the area so when people do find us they tend to come back year after year just as uh, that local kind of hidden asset that is fun to play I mean I think that's what they realize is they come out here and it's a uh, kind of an authentic up north experience and something that people you know look at kind of like that restaurant that you find that you're kind of surprised at the the value you get and and for the service and the product that you receive so it's uh, it's a fun, it's just a fun time and it's a great atmosphere to to work in and certainly the type of people that we have playing golf here it's just a a wide range of like I said earlier abilities and 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 just player types.
0: Bogies Bar and Grill, uh, Steve, nice uh, nice part of the uh, part of the equation as well there at Whitefish.
2: Yeah, we had a great little bar and grill. Serves a fantastic lunch fare. Great hamburger. Um, and all the other golf uh, fairs that you would want.
0: How about a couple of um, maybe a signature hole or two, Steve, that people that have played there will remember and maybe something uh, something that you find challenging or just like the uniqueness of the hole?
2: I think for sure our signature hole that, that, that golfers speak of the most is hole number 12, which is a little par 3. ranges from 130 yards to you know 165 but it's it's reminiscent of a of an Augusta hole you know over a little pond and and to a narrow green and so it's a it's set in a beautiful little you know hilled area and a little valley and it just has a great little character to it Um, not the most challenging hole but still par threes are typically play over par and you know regardless you got to hit a good shot there so i think that definitely is our number one signature hole and i would say number two the the other most memorable one is a par five on the front nine hole number five which is you know one of our longer par fives but the last hundred yards is uphill which creates a bit of a challenge for people and requires a pretty accurate third shot in there to you know to save your par or to make par so it's, uh, I think those two tend to be the ones that stand out. You know, we have a great, uh, three hole finishing track, 16, 17, 18. I wouldn't, uh, we probably should come up with a name for those because there's a finishing hole. Those are, you got to have your, your game on coming down the stretch there to, to finish off your round on those three holes. There are three tough finishing holes, um, you know, par four, par three, par five. So it's a it's a fun layout. If people haven't played it before, they'd you know, do well to come out and give it a try. Um there's just a lot to offer out here.
0: Yeah, agreed, agreed. I when you when you brought up number five there, I remember the uphill finish there. That's a, that is a that is a cool golf golf hole.
2: Yeah. And I think looking back, people look back down the fairway and, and uh seem to really appreciate that vantage point, I think.
1: Sure, yeah. Maybe we could call those closing holes the fish trap or something, Steve.
2: The fish trap. I like that. There we go. You heard <laughs> it here.
1: That's the right. You, you don't have to give me credit, but you can if you want.
2: <laughs> you deserve it all, Steve.
1: Man. Steve, I know when when my boys were young, they always enjoyed coming up and playing there. And you're you're very junior friendly there. I know. You, 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 what what are your junior rates and and they play all the time.
2: Yeah, yeah. We have uh, we belong to the Youth on Course program, so that's probably the best program going right now for golfers. I think through the well through the local Minnesota Golf Association, kids can sign up through that, which provides a fantastic green fee. Nine holes, it's three dollars. Eighteen holes, it's five dollars, and and there's limited times of the day. Ours is Sunday through Thursday in the afternoon that that's available. Um, So that's the best junior rate that we have going. And and for junior programs, we run a fantastic program with the Pequot school district Um, for spring golf. We have upwards of 40 kids. So it's very, it's, I think our golf course too is, you know, super friendly for families. You know, again, we have low handicaps that come out with their kids and maybe guests that are novice golfers. And, you know, it provides a, you know enough of a challenge for everybody but not too much for those that can't handle the challenge so um i think that's what's pretty unique about our golf course It, it there's not a lot of them that can say that that you know provide enough of a a you know a true test for everybody but not being too tough for those that uh aren't prepared for that
0: Nice to hear the youth getting in there, and it's been paying off. Pequot's had some awfully good golf teams for quite a long time now. <laughs>
2: yeah, well, the kids up here have uh, a lot of great instruction and and uh, that they can that they have access to, and a lot of great golf courses that they can get out and play and have different looks and learn to hit different shots. I think that's an underappreciated thing that, uh, or I hope it's an appreciated thing that these kids. Uh, have some of the best golf in Minnesota to hone their games on these golf courses.
0: Steve, a big part of the fun of the game, of course, is uh, getting a group together or two groups. You've got uh, some uh, buddy trips and girls' getaways. I was looking at your website. That sounds kind of fun.
2: Yeah. You know, we uh, cater to, I mean, service is our business. So we cater to lots of different types of groups and, you know, whether it's gals' groups, men's groups, bachelor parties um senior groups it's a lot of people that uh you know want to come to this area and recreate and um our programs are you know really set up to give them a nice experience and whether we bundle in um accommodations that we can work with or and or you know food and packages that are bundled in with the golf and and uh gift packages things like that so there's a lot of things we try to do just to um, separate ourselves and differentiate ourselves a little bit and provide some kind of homeschool small town small town charm kind of behind it.
0: How about um, uh, memberships, Steve? It might be a little well, it's not too late in the year. It's only June 23rd. It just seems longer because it was, we had such hot weather.
2: <laughs> right.
0: But uh, memberships for the year for, uh, I suppose, more for locals but for anybody who's up here for the summer.
2: Yeah, we have a uh, we have a category of membership, but we have two different categories an unlimited membership. And then we have what's called a cabin card, which allows people to buy a block number of rounds and then they can share them with their, their guests. Or, um, and again, that's targeting cabin owners and people that maybe are up here a little less frequently. Maybe they don't live up here, but, um, that's been a popular program for us that is oftentimes a, uh, an entry level into a season membership. Yeah. You know, and generally that category works for people that are, you know, residents of Minneapolis or St. Paul and they come up here on the weekends and they want to be part of something and that allows them to be part of this. And, and oftentimes once they retire, then they have more time and they buy, step into the full membership. So we have options to, uh, you know, fit just about anybody's membership needs.
0: Steve, if, uh, if people want to get a hold of you and, and get some rounds in or find out about the different memberships or maybe just uh, come out for a casual round, how do they do that?
2: People can always reach us at our phone number at 218-543-4900, or we're always online at whitefishgolf.com. You All can right. find pretty much everything you need to know about Whitefish on our website.
0: All right, thank you very much for joining us, yeah. Steve. Uh, that's Steve Bankston, General Manager and Head Professional at Whitefish Golf Course. A great hidden gem, as Chris was saying. Again, it's whitefishgolf.com. Find out everything you need to know and definitely put it on your your calendar for golf this summer. You're listening to Lakes, Woods & Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods & Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Find us on Facebook at Lakes, Woods & Irons and also on Podcast One at Lakes, Woods & Irons. Invite you to check out Ernie's on Golf for the On Point Burger Company, a great addition to Ernie's, locally owned and globally loved. Chris, special guest. Uh, I'll let you handle the introductions.
1: I want to welcome a good friend of mine, uh, Craig Allen, the Director of Golf Performance at the Sea Island Performance Center. Welcome to the show, Craig.
3: Thanks, Chris. Uh, glad to be on.
1: It uh, One of my favorite places in the world is Sea Island Resort and the Performance Center. It's Really the, the finest golf facility in the world, I think. Uh, ironically,
3: it's my favorite, too.
1: <laughs> no, it's uh,
3: very fortunate to uh, to have ended up here, and uh, I will be rolling on to uh, 18 years this summer, so hard to believe it's gone wow. that fast, but uh, when you're having fun, it tends to go that
1: quickly. No kidding. Tell it, for those who don't know about Sea Island, give us a little background on Sea Island and then a little bit about yourself, Craig.
3: Sure. So Sea Island came about in 1928 uh, and has been uh, here ever since. Uh, From the golf perspective, uh, we have three golf courses uh, at the resort and and membership proper, and uh, two of which are used on the PGA Tour. Uh, And back in 1995-ish, Davis Love Jr., Davis Love III's dad, and a good friend of his, um, Jack Lumpkin, we were doing golf digest schools at the time, decided that it may be better to uh, actually have a golf academy at one single location. And uh, so they uh, talked to Sea Island and um, they were in the process of making that happen when Mr. Love and uh, two of uh, his fellow instructors were tragically killed in a a plane crash. And so uh, Mr. Lumpkin uh, took on the ownership of that, and um, got with Sea Island and, and built the, the Golf Performance Center, or at the time Golf Learning Center at Sea Island, which was recognized as the first of its kind by the USGA, and
2: uh, over the years,
3: it sort of evolved, and uh, in the early 2000s, uh, Mr. Jones, who family owned the, the company, wanted to really elevate the golf uh, uh, teaching side of it, and he decided to bring in specialists in all of uh, the areas uh, like club fitting mental component putting full swing and golf fitness and uh, try and make it to where we could on a daily basis offer what the pga tour players get on a weekly basis and that's when i was brought in my forte is, is club fitting and uh, i was joined by todd anderson and mike shannon on putting and randy myers on fitness and dr mo pickens on the um, mental side. And so over the years, it sort of evolved, 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 and we renovated our old facility two or three times. And then four years ago, we started this discussion of a new building uh, and uh, moved into our new facility two years ago, 17,000 square foot state-of-the-art golf performance center. Uh, And I've been fortunate enough to have um, been chosen to, to lead that, and it has been nothing but fun from from the first day I set foot on property here to to today, and I can't think of you know anywhere else I'd rather be. Quite frankly, yeah, the the performance center has every
1: tool you could ever imagine to improve your golf game. Uh, I don't think there's a
3: place in the world you can go that that well, has that, more that, to offer. That, that was the challenge when we decided to build the facility. Uh, actually, was. Ownership wanted to go and look at some different uh, facilities to, to to mimic, and I was like, "Well, from, from what the picture I have in my head, there's nothing else quite like it." So what we did was we traveled around some some neat facilities and chose some uh, some some good ideas that they were all doing, and try to cherry pick all the good stuff and then put it into one facility. And you know, I'm obviously biased, but I would say that you know you combine the facility. Um, the resort, and then obviously the team that I have, uh, I don't think there's anything else quite like it. Um, we have obviously had a lot of people come and uh, tour the facility since we opened it, so there's a lot of people that are now you know, trying to upgrade what they're doing, and that's good. It's good for golf, and, and really our goal ultimately is to grow the game and, and have people enjoy the game uh, more than, than maybe they, they were when they showed up. And you know, we know that we can be everything to everybody, We certainly can't expect people to only come here for golf instruction. So, you know, we're 100% on board with with offering what we offer and and allowing those people to take it home to see people like you, Chris, and and some of their other instructors. And and we're happy to work together with those people. Ultimately, the golfer is what's important here, not us. And if if we can, you know, provide a level of service to, to grow this game, then it's a win. Craig, with all the instruction staff
1: you have, I think five or six top 100 teachers, and you have so many tour players that either live and practice and play at Sea Island or visit there regularly. Every tour event, it seems like the, the top 10, you have a couple players in that top 10 finishing. and no, the U.S. Open was no different. Uh, give gives your take on the U.S. Open, and some of the players that represent Sea Island are part of the – the teaching staff there.
3: Yeah, we're, we're very fortunate to have a culture here and, you know, we can thank Davis Love for, for the third for that, is that um, you know, people came tour players came to live here because of the environment, because of the culture here and then obviously as we've upgraded our instruction facilities and, 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 and our staff has, has become more well known um, you know, that there's, there's no reason for a tour player not to want to come here and so, you know, people like davis who, who came early and then he, he brought zach and johnson bird and guys like that we've been very fortunate to, to have a lot of tour players here and, and certainly as they've improved they've got more exposure out on tour and then bringing on instructors like justin parsons who's teaching several of the tour players has, has helped also and at the u.s open we had um, louis who who justin teaches uh, obviously vying for a win there and ended up uh in second place and then harris english had a great sunday who justin also works with uh to finish third so we had a second and third at the u.s open and um you know see it does seem like every week we've got somebody up there who's doing very very well and and i think that's a credit to the talent of the staff here and then the overall environment uh that sea island uh, offers and that mr love sort of cultivated when he came here so yeah i think uh we're very fortunate that way on tour and you know as far as the u.s open goes I, i've never played tory but i from what i heard from the players that did play and from what i saw on tv i think they put forward a, a just a great great tournament and i think when you look at the leaderboard as they turn to the back nine on sunday hard to argue that it wasn't a great event and a well set up course when when the cream basically were right there when it mattered so um uh, all the more credit to the usga and to tory pines for what they presented
1: yeah it was interesting you know early in the
3: week there was some criticism
1: in the media of the golf course but it certainly uh brought the best players to the top without creating a lot of havoc and no problems with the golf course
3: it seems so it was quite an event it, it i'll tell you what was fun fun for me and, and a, f- a friend of mine jeff hall who works for usga was was part of the course setup um what was fun for me is that the talk, certainly early in the week, they were trying to find ways to criticize the t- criticize the golf course. It felt like anyway, they were trying to find ways. But as the week evolved and moved on, it seemed like for once at a U.S. Open, the talk was more about the players and about their great play and about the fair challenge of the golf course, rather than the golf course being unfair and the USGA and all of that. The focus was, it turned more to the players which ultimately isn't that what it's all about. Um, and and I, I think that made it, a, in my mind, a, a very compelling U.S. Open when you got down to the end of it and it was, it was more about the fair test that was the golf course and more about how great the players at the top of the lead, leaderboard were. So, uh, I, again, sure. I, think, I think it turned out to be a, a fairly successful event. And, and really it seemed pretty fair. Um, you hit it off the fairway, you were going to get a, a challenging line most of the time. Uh, the green complexes didn't go beyond the fair factor, and um, it just seemed to have worked out. We talk a lot about on the show is how
1: to practice, and you know, you, you get to see a wide variety of players there, and among them, the gre- greatest players in the world. And what, what do you see that the best players do in their practice that the average players don't? Being a PGA Tour player to a Mini Tour player in a heartbeat, and that's no fun. No, it's not. No fun going backwards. That's for sure. No, uh, Craig, one, one kind of your niche at Sea Island is is, is club fitting aspect, and uh, let, let's talk a little bit about that. And you know, I, I think club fitting has become much more prevalent, but there are still a lot of people that buy golf clubs off the rack without being fit. And tell tell us how does a typical club fitting work, and what can a person
3: expect? Sure. So, um, you know, from a club fitting standpoint here at, at Sealand, and most of the, the upper echelon places are very similar. You know, they, they'll allocate an hour to do the driver, 45 minutes to an hour to do the driver, and then an iron fitting maybe 45 minutes to an hour. And then as you add on the other parts of the bag, it, it adds up. And so a full fitting could be anywhere from two hours to three hours, uh, depending how involved it's getting. Um, and I think. You know, the reason that, that there's still people buying clubs off the rack as opposed to getting fit in, fitted is uh, I think there's a couple of levels to that. Number one is I think some people are intimidated by club fitting, um, which there's absolutely no reason to be. And then I think another reason is that, that people think that if you go and get a fitting, that it's going to cost you twice as much money. So in their mind, a fitting means all very custom products, ex- exotic shafts, etc., cetera, et cetera which can obviously run up the tab pretty quick. Um, and then on the third thing is some people don't think that they're good enough to be fit or don't think it's going to make a difference. And, and you know, I would argue the exact opposite. I, I would tell you that good players are able to manipulate clubs that don't fit them at a greater level than bad players are able to manipulate clubs that don't fit them. So I think in my mind it benefits a, a bad player maybe more so than it benefits a good player. Um At at a 30,000 foot level, obviously when you get to the minutiae of it, I think obviously then it's a different conversation. But um, I I think that people are still going and buying clubs off the rack because they just don't understand the benefits of club fitting. A club fitting here is finding the 14 best golf clubs for a golfer, whether that be golf clubs that they currently own, uh, being adjusted, or for that matter, being as they are or something that we can prove beyond a reasonable doubt beats or performs better for their needs than what they currently have. And so we always approach a fitting like they have the best clubs unless we can prove otherwise. Uh, And then we also approach it from the fact that we're always looking for best performance. So that takes into account the player's preference plus the performance we are seeing. And that sometimes may be a custom shaft. And sometimes it may be a stock shaft. More expensive doesn't make it better. Better performance right. makes it better. And so we try and you know look at it from that perspective. If we were spending our own money as the fitter, what would the, where would the best value lie? And so that's how we try and approach every fitting. Um, we're, we're not trying to p- particularly sell clubs in every fitting. We're trying to have that person leave with the 14 best golf clubs. Yeah, That's a great point, and you know, some,
1: sometimes you take somebody through a fitting and uh, their irons outperform their, what, what they would be getting new. So, you just leave those clubs in the bag and
3: uh, look elsewhere to improve their game. That's right, or it could be adjusting what they've got, or it could be set makeup. I mean, you know, this as a great teacher, um, a lot of times people are not successful not because they need a wholesale change in their bag, it's because they're not. Focus, focusing on specific areas of need. And I will tell you that most of the time in fittings, the, one of the biggest things that people ignore is making sure that they're filling all the gaps correctly, whether that be between the driver and their longest iron or from their shortest iron through the wedges. And, and I just feel like you know, there's the meat and potatoes, your irons and your driver, and then everything else is fair game relative to what the golfer's needs are. And people just don't take that into account at all. The amount of people that have two clubs in their bag near the top of the bag that go the same distance is amazing to me. And people's um, unawareness or whatever that word is it's a bad word, but not being aware of the wedges that they need or the tools they need in the bottom of the bag is just a huge gray area too. It's 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 amazing to me, and that's yeah. if people just did that, they would score better.
1: And Craig, do you do you feel like people have at the, in the wedge range? Do they have too many clubs? Not enough? Uh, their highest lofted club is it too lofted? What are what are some of the errors you see there?
3: Well, the, the, I think the most common error that we see is we see um, too many clubs at the top of the bag. In other words, too many clubs between the longest iron and the and the driver, and not enough clubs at the bottom of the bag. So they'll they'll end up with say. 25-yard gaps at the bottom of the bag, but they've got 8 or 10-yard gaps at the top of the bag.
2: You know, I just want to say every time I do
3: a fitting that if the USGA would just let me do 15 clubs, I could really nail every gap, but obviously they're (laughs) not going to do that, so uh, with that said, I'm a little bit more of a fan for for the average golfer, let's just talk about the average golfer for a second, for the average golfer to have less manipulation needed at the bottom of the bag, so so better gapping on the wedges, uh, and maybe a little bit more spacing at the top of the bag because, quite frankly, if 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 you looked at, at the proximity they need to the hole to score better, the proximity they need to the hole at the top of the bag between the long iron and the driver versus what they need at the bottom of the bag to score better. Uh, in my mind, they need better proximity in wedges and less um, less of the tight gaps and. In, 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 focusing on that closer proximity on the top of the bag because the chances of them hitting that one out of 100 shot and get the yardage exactly right to the top of the bag is not that great anyway. If they're at 200 yards, they're just nearly trying to hit the green most of the time. And so if you've got a 20 yard, 15 to 20 yard gap on the top clubs, you can achieve that. But if you have a 15 to 25 yard gap in the wedges, you are killing yourself on proximity. So in my mind, that's the biggest error that the average golfer makes. You know, I think advanced players, you could look at it either way. That's a strength and weakness question. If they're not good wedge players, maybe having more options there is is a good thing. If they're great wedge players, maybe they need less there. and Maybe they need better, tighter gaps on the top side. But for the average golfer, I just think, you know, you end up seeing somebody with a a five iron, a four iron, a, a, a three hybrid, a five wood, a three wood, all these clubs at the top of the bag. And then they've got, you generally these strong lofted irons with a 43 to 45 degree pitching wedge, and then they've got a sand wedge and a lob wedge. And yeah, that, just, that was going to be my next question. Pressure.
1: That was going to be my next question. You know, as, as lofts have gotten stronger, you know, you get 43, 44 degree pitching wedge. Now now you've got this huge gap between that and even your even your gap wedge, so you really have to pay attention to where you're at with those clubs so you don't have this
3: this huge gap between your pitching wedge and your next wedge. Absolutely. you know as
2: as these engineers at the
3: club companies continue to to get these irons jacked up with lofts, which you know in their defense, some of it they have to do because they've lowered the CG so much in those irons. but on the flip side of that, I'm not a fan of it. Uh, you know I think it, you really have to pay attention to to what that loft is on that pitching wedge how far it goes when you hit it and then you know I like to talk about well what's the most lofted wedge we want in the bag and then I work between that club and the pitching wedge to figure out how to nail the gaps. Um, I think we can't just generically say well if you've got a 43 degree pitching wedge what we need is a a 48 degree um, sand wedge to, or gap wedge to give you a five degree gap and then we'll go to a 54 to give you six and then a 60 to give you another six it, as you know from, from hitting on track man with a lot of players yeah that gives you a starting point but depending on the engineering of that club and the person's angle of attack and all those other things those lots don't exactly always go the yardage relative to the to the number of degrees so better to focus more on you know what is the most lofted club you want around the green what is the loft? Let's hit those, and then let's work backwards from there and figure out exactly how to nail those gaps in between.
1: Well, Craig, that's great information, and we we really appreciate you coming on the the show and sharing your knowledge about golf clubs and telling us a little bit about the Sea Island story.
3: I'm happy to do it, Chris, and as I said at the very beginning, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited about golf and i'm excited about what we do here and so sometimes i get a little too excitable about it but um you know we we love what we do here and um i know you as a, a regular visitor here with your your son working with us now um you know we, we we just love it and we love to have people come visit
1: yeah it doesn't get any better how, how do people learn more about Seattle and Craig?
3: SeaIsland.com for the, the the resort and SeaIslandGolfPerformanceCenter.com for the the GPC and um, we've got everything you need to know right there. Awesome, well, follow, I appreciate it, Craig. On Instagram too.
0: <laughs> yeah, perfect. Craig, thanks for taking the time. We sure do appreciate it. That is uh, Craig Allen, Golf uh, Performance Center Director at Sea Island, and you're Thank listening you. to Lakes Woods and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ. The fan also find us on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons and at uh, Podcast One at uh, Lakes, Woods, and Irons as well. want to mention Maury's where you can always eat more fish at Maury's. Stop for lunch at the Mobile Gallery in Brainerd. Great lobster rolls, fish, tacos, Maury's in Motley and Brainerd. I like Connie's crab, Dick. Chris, uh, that's one of my favorites.
1: You know, at Mac, the, the one thing I have missed about us not doing the show in the studio is I'd usually stop by Maury's on the way to the studio and get a little lunch.
0: So, <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I haven't had the lobster roll
0: in a while. You do. I do. Chris, I thought that segment with uh, Craig was very interesting, and we were just talking uh, off mic a little bit. Let's uh, talk a little bit about wedges, and he was saying how the top end of the bag is – is maybe most people's bags are top end heavy and uh, and the and the back end is maybe a club or two short. So that's kind of interesting. I think it registered with me because I I just thought of my own bag and figured that that uh, that might be true for the uh, the wedge that kind of comes with the set when you say buying off the shelf. You know, you, so you've got a you've got a pitching wedge. Is that the forty three forty four that he was talking about? In uh,
1: yeah. So so what's happened, Mac, is over the you know the uh, let's say the past. 10, 12, 15 years. It used to be a standard pitching wedge loft, loft was forty-eight degrees, and then you'd have your sand wedge at let's say you know fifty-four or fifty-six degrees. So there wasn't a huge gap between between those clubs, but so, somewhat of a gap. And what what's happened over the past five or six years is lofts in 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 all our golf clubs have. Uh, gotten stronger, so a you know, a pitching wedge has gone from 48 degrees, was went to about 50, 46, now we're at 43 or 44 degrees. And it, a couple of reasons why that's taken place number one is that the center of gravity in all irons tends to be lower, that helps people get the ball up in the air, uh, it's more forgiving. Well, so as a result of that they've had to decrease the loft so otherwise the ball would go too high in the air so as they have decreased loft that that hasn't happened with the sandwich because we we need loft on the sandwich to to pitch the ball properly to hit sand shots to hit those shots around the green so um so it, you know 15 years ago they're the advent of, of the gap wedge came in where the gap wedge was, you know, 48, 50, 52 degrees. So he had, he had something in between the sand wedge. And, you know, now today there's even, even a little more loft difference between that, that pitching wedge, maybe the gap wedge and the sandwich. So today, what we, you know, with most of the players we see, we're getting them into, depending on what, what set of cl- what clubs they currently have uh, getting wedges, uh, having a 48, 49, 50-degree gap wedge and then a 54-degree sand wedge and a 58-degree lob wedge if, if they have a lob wedge in the bag. And in my experience, most people at the high end the lob wedge maybe have too much loft with, with a 60-degree wedge. And, and what happens is the harder you swing a lob wedge, say with a 60-degree club, the higher it goes, and the less out it goes. Right. So for so many people that sixty degree is really not a real playable golf club because they, they can really only use it effectively when they're when they're pitching the golf ball or making partial swings. So they're much better off having a club where they can make a full swing and hit it a consistent distance rather than a club that goes too much up, not enough out. Mm-hmm. So a great great combination for if a, if a person's going to have say three wedges beyond their 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 pitching wedge would be a gap wedge in the in the neighborhood of 48 to 50 degrees a sand wedge uh 44 or excuse me 54 55 degrees and then that lob wedge if they have that at 58
0: degrees okay yeah i'm just thinking of uh everybody kind of knows their own bag, so for years, maybe, I'm, I'm probably a little shorter now, but for years, maybe I could hit my my pitching wedge uh, 110, and if you went, went after it, you know, 120, and if you eased up, 100, and then the 56, maybe goes 80, 85, so that's too big a gap, isn't it? It's 30, 30 yards right. difference. So around you know, the green that's, that's too big a gap. Exactly,
1: So and those are your scoring clubs, and you you want to have... Uh, most of us are much better at you know at making full swings than we are partial swings so you know between generally between in our irons depending on your clubhead speed people are going to have a 10 to 15 yard gap and ideally between your wedges you would have that same gap you know, of, of 10 to 15 yards so if you get into a where you have you know 20 to 30 yards that's too much too much space between from club to club.
0: Yeah. All right. That's good stuff, Chris. <laughs> Thanks, Mac. Yeah. You might actually know what you're talking about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm always learning to try that.
0: <laughs> we want to thank our guest today, Craig Allen, the golf performance center director at sea Island. Terrific segment. And yeah, nice to have Steve Bankston on from uh, whitefish golf course. Do put that on your golf calendars uh, this year. It's a, Wonderful golf course, as Chris said, one of the hidden gems of the area. Thanks a lot, Chris.
1: Thank you, Mac.
0: That's Chris Foley. I'm Colin McDonald. You've been listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ.